Good morning, friends. Today's message, Drenched with God. My text is Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Now, today, Sunday, like any other Sunday, millions of people gather for the purpose of worshiping God. They go to all kinds of churches, big ones, little ones, city churches, little ones out in the country. Some meet in these multi-million dollar worship centers. Some meet in rented facilities. Some have got pretty loud worship services. Some a little bit more contemplative, laid back. I mean, some churches sing only traditional hymns. They've got the hymnal. Others sing contemporary worship choruses. Some preachers wear robes and some, uh, like me, do not. Well, I could go on and on listing the different types of worship services that are taking place right now in person or online, particularly in this last COVID uh, sequestered year. Now, in spite of the many differences, there is one common denominator. Millions of Christians gather today to worship God, and all of these millions of people fall into roughly two categories. One, those who actually connect with God, and two, those who kind of simply go through the motions. With very few exceptions, all those in category two really want to be in category one. After all, I mean, why else would you go to church? But for reasons that are beyond them, there are obstacles in their way. Maybe it's doubt or confusion or fear or unconfessed sin or, you know, any number of other reasons. But whatever the reason, there are many people who go to church hoping to get something out of it, but don't. Instead, week after week, they go home feeling a little bit empty and maybe a whole lot bored. Now, amazingly, in the very same uh, worship time, there are many who go home, you know, really jacked up, pumped up, exhilarated, knowing that they've been in the presence of God. Now, as a pastor, I've actually had a conversation after a Sunday service where one person came up and said, Pastor, that was one of the greatest worship services we've ever had here. And only a few moments later, another member said, Pastor, those songs we sang absolutely ruined worship for me today. But what was my reaction? Well, you know, it's hard to believe both people were in the same worship service. Now, the most important element in any worship service is the heart of the person attending. If your heart is bent toward God when you walk in the door, it's going to be full of God when you walk out. Jesus said that those people who worship God must worship in spirit and truth. Now, somewhere I had read, and this is where I got my sermon title from, worship can be defined as getting drenched with God. It can happen anytime you want. It can, it's simply a matter of preparing yourself. And today I want to take you very quickly through Isaiah 6 for a lesson in how to meet God. Well, here's the first thing. Meeting with God requires the right attitude. No, see, worship begins with an attitude of reverence or respect for God. I mean, you're going to God's house. Now, we can't refer to him flippantly as the big guy in the sky or, you know, the man upstairs. I mean, he's not an impersonal, impersonal higher power. He's God. He's great. He's powerful. He's good. He's worthy of our praise. And there are two sides to God's nature. On one side is the transcendence of God, the fact that God is beyond anything earthly or finite. And on the other side is the imminence of God, the fact that God is everywhere all the time. Now, these are two extremes, and both are absolutely true. Psalm 138.6 says, For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly. In fact, there's an old hymn that says, He walks with me and he talks with me and tells me I am his own. That's the imminence of God. Now, it's absolutely true, but sometimes we make the mistake of ignoring the other side of God's nature. We fail to acknowledge his holiness, his majesty, his power. 
I mean, someone has described God with the phrase holy other. Now, that holy is W-H-O-L-L-Y. He's totally God. God is not one of us nor like us. He's beyond anything we could imagine, more than we can comprehend, more magnificent than we could ever describe. He's good beyond description, powerful beyond description, holy beyond description. I mean, God is completely independent of this world, and his involvement with us as human beings is purely by choice, not the result of any need or limitation on his part. In other words, he is wholly other. Now, Isaiah recognized this sight of God when he saw the Lord. He was overcome with the awareness. There was majesty. He said, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up. And then there was greatness. And the hem of his robe filled the temple. And then there was supremacy. Angels were in attendance above him. And holiness. I mean, they were singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And then there was glorious as the whole earth is full of his glory. So, friends, worship begins with the right attitude. And as far as possible, we need to see God as he really is. Powerful, holy, pure, good. I mean, the list goes on. But here's the second thing. Meeting with God requires the right attitude about yourself. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus tells Peter to put his net out into the deep water. Peter has been fishing all night, answered by saying that they'd worked all night and hadn't caught anything. But he continued by saying, Yet if you say so, I will let down the nets. Now, Peter didn't exactly sound enthusiastic about it, but you know what happened next. It says they caught so many fish that their nets began to break. In fact, so many, they began to load the fish into the boat that they had to bring another boat in to help. It was then that Peter realized that he was in the presence of not just a man, but a living Christ. His response from Luke 5, 8, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Go away from me, Lord. For I am a sinful man. You see, friends, there's something about being in the presence of God that makes us aware of our own sinfulness. When Isaiah found himself in the presence of God, he said in verse 5, Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Now, just like Peter, his response was to confess his sinfulness. Now, the word confess in Greek is a compound word, homo legeo. Uh, taken from homo, the same, and logeo, to speak or say. Now, literally, it means to say the same thing. So confession is an agreement with God. So if you're in a church service today, like I'll be a little bit later, and you go through a time of confession, you're just agreeing with God. We're saying the same thing about ourselves that God would say. See, seeing God as he really is and seeing ourselves as we really are, well, leads us to this third element of worship, and that's being made worthy to worship. Now, worship is not something we do for God. It is something we do with God. He is part of the process, and we can't worship without his help. We're not good enough, and if we try to pretend that we are, we separate ourselves from God. But if we are willing to admit that we need God to clean us up, he will. In 1 John 1, verse 9, it says, If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive our sins. Now, when Isaiah admitted his own sinfulness, an angel came down, touched A coal, a hot coal to his lips. And this is symbolic of what Jesus has done for us. It was through his death our sins have been blotted out and our guilt has departed. In verses 6 and 7 of Isaiah, it says, Then one of the seraphs, these angels, flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. Now, if you jump way into the New Testament to Hebrews chapter 10.10, it says Jesus has done this. 
it says, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Now, toward the end of Jesus' ministry, he did an amazing thing for the disciples. He washed their feet. He did this in the same fashion that a slave would serve a master. And when he began the ritual, Peter once again says in John 13, no, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus said, you know, Peter, unless I wash you, you have no share with me. And Peter immediately says, then, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. I mean, dip me under. I mean, Peter learned a big lesson about grace here. Unless I wash you, you can have no share with me. See, the lesson is that we can only be made worthy by an act of God's grace. There's nothing we can do to earn it or deserve it. We can only receive it. And we must receive his grace if we want to have a relationship with him. It's important to realize that experiencing God's grace is an ongoing process in our life. I mean, salvation, when we receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, is just the beginning of God's work of grace in us. And that continues. That sanctified, Living out that sanctified life continues day after day. Well, the fourth element is to understand that worship is a lifestyle. I mean, worship is not just a one day a week event. It's, uh, you know, this is, like I said, it's a lifestyle. This is what Isaiah learned in verse 8. He said, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. So worship is more than just singing a few songs and listening to the pastor (laughs) talk for, you know, 20, 30 minutes or following some sort of a ritual. It's a lifestyle, it's an attitude that says, here I am, Lord, send me. Now, I'm going to do a wedding a little bit later in, in this fall. I've got a couple of, another two or three weddings to go to. You know, and when two people get married, you know, they publicly vow to love, honor, and cherish one another until they're parted by death. That's part of the wedding ceremony. The success of that marriage is dependent upon the couple's commitment to this vow. It doesn't make how much difference, how much money was spent on the wedding or the color of the bridesmaid's dress, or how many people were in attendance, or how cute the the ring bearer, the, the little flower girl was. That, that's all fine and dandy, but it's pretty irrelevant. The wedding ceremony is not the marriage. If the bride and groom are not serious about the wedding vow, then the whole event is really a, a joke. I mean, it's a, it's a charade. It's a waste of everybody's time, because a good marriage is not determined by a fancy wedding ceremony. It's determined by the level of commitment the bride and groom have for one another. Now, in the same way, the music, the prayers, the scripture readings, the message that you hear today, or as I will hear today, are only what we might call pomp and circumstance if you leave without a stronger commitment to serve God this week. It was just, as somebody said one time, it's an hour wasted. Well, we don't want to waste that worship experience. That's why Paul says in Romans 12, 1, I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So worship is getting drenched with God, not just on Sunday, but every day. It's a lifestyle that we can cultivate. And when we get a right view of God, we get a right view of ourselves. This helps us remember that we need God to cleanse us and that he deserves our devotion all day every day. Well, until next time, see the vision, live the mission, and feel the passion. And God bless your worship. Talk to you soon.